Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen and my co-host who is actually sitting in the recording studio with me for the first time in over a month is Katie. Well, I mean, I couldn't put it off any longer. I'm pretty sure you were going to use the teal duct tape and zip ties on me. I mean, I did buy those for Quincy, but there's plenty to go around. I was going to say you've got plenty. (laughs) Yeah. Not to say I wouldn't have liked it, but that's... Anyway. Let's just fly in to the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, and the corresponding film scenes. The designers of the band probably shouldn't have lumped all of the insanely murderous people all together. Ron has issues telling the difference between murderers and dumbasses. Hermione once again goes running off with an idea, but no inclination to tell anyone what it is. To no one's surprise, Hagrid gets put on probation, the worst repercussion of which is that now he has to see Pepto Bitch Mall every day. With the Daily Prophet article, Harry now realizes that there are more members of the Dead Relatives Club than he originally thought. Movie Seamus finally swallows his pride and admits that he was kind of a dick. The twins and Lee Jordan will go down in history, but may lose their hands in the process. And Snape is not really Teacher of the Year, but when it comes to occlumency, Harry kind of sucks at emptying his mind, so who's to say who's really at fault there? Accurate. (laughs) (laughs) During episode 162, Spit and Shit, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on the movie basically leaving out Hagrid's probation? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter pondering. How do I feel about them removing Hagrid's probationary period? Pissed off, angry, upset, and you know exactly why. Y'all know they couldn't put that shit in there because if they did, they would have had to put in when Hagrid was yeeting motherfuckers around the grounds and McGonagall got binked four times at the same time and passed out. And Hagrid picked up Fang and ran off to the countryside. They couldn't put that shit in there. They couldn't. There was too much time. What about six minutes of film time? They couldn't afford six minutes of Hagrid whooping ass because they want to compact the movie into an hour and 30 minutes of watching time. And by doing that, we're just going to make little tiny, tiny montages throughout that are kind of cute so you will be distracted and not even worry about that shit. But little do they know, we want to see Hagrid eat motherfuckers across the grounds while all the kids was watching from the astronomy tower. But they couldn't afford six minutes of action, so they just deleted him completely. Just deleted him. Deleted his problems and just, that's that. That's how I feel about it. Angry. Hi friends, it's Carly here calling in my Potter pondering for this week of whether or not I care for them leaving Hagrid's probation out of the fifth movie. So I think that they pretty much left everybody's, you know, they didn't really go into full detail about Umbridge putting anybody on probation. They just kind of jumped into Trelawney being kicked out 
and stuff like that. But leaving Hagrid's specifically out kind of diminishes how terrible Umbridge is because really she put Hagrid on probation because he's a half-breed, which is a problem. So I think that overall it's not great that they left it out, but it is the fifth movie. They leave out tons, like the longest book and the shortest movie. So I think that them leaving that particular scene out, definitely not the biggest and most worrisome thing that they left out, but definitely an important factor that they left out. And it really does diminish how terrible Umbridge is. Yeah, we still see her be pretty terrible in the movies, but we don't ever really get that full purity anger there, you know, like pure wizards or best wizards or whatever, you know, so we don't really get any of that information. But yeah, that is what the fifth movie does. They leave out tons of stuff. So anyways, that's all. Bye-bye. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Megan calling in my Potter Pondering. As for how I feel about the details being left out with Hagrid and his probation and the details in general that were left out about how awful Umbridge was, that's not how it happened in the book. <laughs> yeah, I really thought that the movies in general, they made Umbridge and they also made Snape less hateable because they left out so many details. Because for me, Snape was harder to forgive in the books than in the movies. And Umbridge... Well, yes, you can hate her in the movies. It just doesn't go as deep as when you read the book. So have fun uh, with uh, that's what she said joke with that one, Katie. <laughs> and thank you guys for another great episode. I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you. Hey, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering for this week about the movie leaving no Hagrid's probation. Overall, I don't think it's a huge deal at all. So it definitely is another reason to hit on Umbridge, but for me, it's more weird that they only put in part of it. Like if they were going to put in part of it, they should have put in all of it or none of it. Like it's very confusing the way that they chose to do it, where he's scared about being fired, but why is he scared about being fired? Because they don't give a reason why he's scared about being fired. So it's really weird. I think that they should have just left it all out or put it all in. Like, it's not a huge deal to me if they left it out because it is just a minor storyline. But I think that they should have put it in just for the fact that when they're trying to fire him and he doesn't want to go or whatever, you know, he's being attacked, that McGonagall comes to his defense and takes four stunning spells to the chest, like... We should have gotten to see that. We didn't get enough of McGonagall being a badass. And that's a shame that we didn't get to see that. So I think that they should have put the storyline in just for that aspect alone. But yeah, for me, really, I mean, I could take her to leave it. But it's weird that they only put in part of it. I think they should have just all or nothing for that. It's really weird. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what does Rita Skeeter call Hermione when they meet up at the Three Broomsticks? More than once, Rita Skeeter calls Hermione Little Miss Perfect. And at one point, Hermione even refers to herself the same way. 
Congratulations goes to Dave Garza. Woohoo! It took him two tries. Yeah? But he got it right before anyone else could. Were Mike and Megan sleeping or? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think maybe they're going to let him start a streak now? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the second half of Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Except for the ones that exist, purely in Ellen's mind. Yeah, they're there. Mm-hmm. Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, Part 2. With everything they have to do, especially the 50 years, January passes at an alarmingly fast rate. February arrives bringing wetter and warmer weather and the prospect of a trip to Hogsmeade. Harry hasn't had much time to talk with Cho since they agreed to visit the village together, but now he suddenly finds himself facing a Valentine's Day spent entirely in her company. He dresses extra carefully on the morning of the 14th, and then he and Ron arrive at breakfast just in time for the owl post and to see Hermione tugging a letter from the beak of an unfamiliar brown owl. She is relieved this letter finally arrived and reads through it before telling Harry that it's really important and asking if he could meet her at the three broomsticks around midday. Harry isn't sure what Cho expects, but reluctantly agrees when Hermione says he can bring her along if he must. When he presses for more information, she tells him she can't explain now, but she has to answer the letter quickly and hurries out of the great hall. Harry asks Ron if he's coming, and he says he can't since Angelina wants a full day's training, even though he doesn't think it's going to help since they're the worst team he's ever seen. He tells Harry that Sloper and Kirk are even worse than he is, and sighs, wondering why Angelina won't just let him resign. Harry has no sympathy for Ron since he would give anything to be able to play in the upcoming match, and irritably tells him that it's because he's good when he's on form. Ron picks up on his tone and doesn't mention it again, but there is a slight frostiness between them when they say goodbye after breakfast. Harry makes his way to the entrance hall to meet up with Cho, feeling very apprehensive, wondering what they're going to talk about. He finds her looking very pretty with her hair in a ponytail and feels very aware of how stupid his arms must look swinging by his side. They awkwardly say hi and stare at each other for a moment before Harry suggests they leave. They join the line to be signed out by Filch, and Harry feels better when they start walking in silence rather than just standing still. He catches the glimpse of Ron and Ginny flying over the stands and feels a pang that he's not with them. Cho notices this and comments on him really missing it, and this strikes up a conversation about Quidditch, the first time they played against each other and the Quidditch World Cup. This carries them all the way off the Hogwarts grounds, and Harry is starting to feel better about how easy it is to talk to her, until they run into a group of Slytherin girls, including Pansy Parkinson, who screeches about Potter and Chang being together. They speed past the giggling girls, and Harry can't think of anything else to say about Quidditch. When they reach Hogsmeade, Harry asks Cho where she wants to go. She suggests they take a look in the shops, and the two wander toward Dervish and Banjis. They see a large poster in the window with the ten Death Eaters offering a thousand-gallion reward to any witcher-wizard with information. 
Cho comments on how funny it is that when Sirius Black escaped, there were dementors everywhere, but now, with ten Death Eaters on the loose, there aren't any. Harry agrees that it's weird, though not sorry there aren't any around, but it does show that the Dementors really seem to be outside the Ministry's control. It begins to rain and Cho suggests they go to Madame Puttyfoot's to get a coffee. They enter a cramped, steamy little place, decorated with frills and bows, and Harry is unpleasantly reminded of Umbridge's office. Cho thinks it's cute and is excited to see it's been decorated for Valentine's Day. She points to a bunch of golden cherubs throwing pink confetti over the small circular tables. They sit at a table by a steamy window right next to Roger Davies, who's holding hands with a pretty blonde girl. Harry looks around and realizes that everyone in the tea shop is couples, all holding hands, and worries that Cho might want him to hold her hand. Madame Puttyfoot, a stout woman with a shiny black bun, squeezes between their tables and asks what she can get them. Cho requests two coffees, and while they are waiting, they see Roger Davies and his girlfriend begin kissing over the sugar bowl. Harry feels like Davies is setting a standard that Cho might expect him to compete with. His face grows hot and he can't bring himself to look at Cho until she mentions Umbridge, and they are able to pass some more time happily abusing her. When silence falls again, Harry asks Cho if she would want to go to the Three Broomsticks with him at lunchtime because he's meeting Hermione Granger there. Cho raises her eyebrows and questions the fact that he's meeting Hermione Granger today. Harry responds that she asked him to, so he thought he would, and again asks if Cho wants to go with him, saying Hermione said it wouldn't matter if she did. Cho sarcastically and coldly says that was nice of her, and they both fall silent again. Harry sees Roger Davies still kissing his girlfriend and Cho's hand sitting on the table by her coffee and tells himself just to reach out and grab it. As he does, she removes her hand from the table and looks at Roger Davies, quietly mentioning to Harry that he had asked her out a couple weeks ago and she turned him down. Harry redirects his hand to grab the sugar bowl instead and can't think why she's telling him this, so he says nothing. Cho also tells him that she came there with Cedric last year, and as Harry's insides go glacial, Cho stutters through asking him if Cedric mentioned her at all before he died. Though this is the last subject Harry wants to discuss, especially with Cho, he quietly tells her that there just wasn't any time for anything like that and tries to change the subject back to Quidditch. As her eyes start to fill with tears, he desperately tells her they shouldn't talk about Cedric right now, asking they talk about something else. But this is the wrong thing to say. Cho full-on starts crying, saying she thought he'd understand that she needs to talk about it, and thought he would need to talk about it too since he saw it happen. As people start to stare at them, Harry quietly explains that he has talked about it to Ron and Hermione. At the mention of Hermione again, Cho angrily comments on how he will talk to Hermione, but he won't talk to her, then tells him it might be best if they just paid so he can go meet up with Hermione like he obviously wants to. Harry is very confused and questioningly says her name, but she just cries into her napkin and tells him to leave, since she doesn't know why he asked her out in the first place if he's going to make arrangements to meet other girls after her. Harry is so relieved to understand why Cho is upset that he laughs before he realizes that is also a mistake. 
She jumps to her feet and dramatically runs out of the tea room while everyone stares at Harry. He calls after her, then throws money down on the table and follows her out the door. He doesn't see her anywhere and does not understand what went wrong since a half hour prior they were getting along just fine. He angrily mutters women as he sloshes his way through the rain, heading to the three broomsticks early. Harry sees Hagrid in the corner and makes his way over, finding him with some fresh cuts and new bruises. He asks him if he's okay, and Hagrid morosely responds that he's grand. They sit in silence for a moment before Hagrid speaks up again to tell Harry that they're in the same boat. Both outsiders, both orphans. He says it makes a difference to have a decent family. His dad was decent, and Harry's parents were decent, and life would have been different if they had lived. Harry cautiously agrees, then changes the subject to ask him about all of his injuries. Hagrid dismisses the question again, calling them normal bumps and bruises and claiming he has a rough job. He then finishes his drink and gets to his feet, telling Harry he'll be seeing him and to take care. Harry feels miserable that Hagrid is so unhappy and obviously hiding something, but he's distracted from that line of thought when Hermione calls out his name. He looks up to see her waving at him from the other side of the room and gets up to make his way over to her, surprised to see she isn't alone. She's sitting with the most unlikely pair that Harry could have imagined, Luna Lovegood and Rita Skeeter, who is one of Hermione's least favorite people in the world. She shifts to make room for Harry, commenting on him being early since she thought he was with Cho and didn't expect him for another hour. Rita perks up at the mention of Harry being with a girl and begins to grope in her crocodile skin handbag. Hermione coolly tells her that it's none of her business and says to put her acid green quill away. Though not pleased, Rita closes her bag again and Harry sits asking Hermione what she's up to. Rita takes a large slurp of her drink and informs him that Little Miss Perfect was just about to tell them when he arrived. Harry notices that unemployment has left her looking pretty rough, with her once elaborate curls hanging messily around her face, her nails chipped, and her glasses missing some false jewels. She takes another drink and mutters a question to Harry about if the girl is pretty. Hermione irritably tells her that the deal will be off if she mentions Harry's love life one more time, and Rita just shoots back that she hasn't mentioned a deal yet, just told her to turn up. She trails off saying one of these days, and Hermione indifferently says yes, yes, one of these days you'll write more horrible stories about Harry and me. Rita Skeeter brings up all of the horrible stories the Daily Prophet has been running about Harry without her help, and asks Harry if that makes him feel betrayed, distraught, or misunderstood. Hermione shuts down this line of questioning too, telling Rita that Harry, of course, feels angry since he told the Minister of Magic the truth and the Minister is too much of an idiot to believe him. Rita looks at Harry with a piercing gaze and asks if he actually sticks to the story that he and Dumbledore have been telling, that you know who is back and Harry is the sole witness. Harry cuts her off to snarl that he wasn't the sole witness as there were a dozen odd Death Eaters there too. He asks if she wants their names, and Rita delightedly fumbles in her bag once more, saying she'd love them, and announcing the headline, Potter accuses, Harry Potter names Death Eaters still among us. As she begins to word vomit the start of the article, her face falls, and she looks back to Hermione, saying that Little Miss Perfect wouldn't want that story out there. 
Hermione sweetly tells her that that's exactly what Little Miss Perfect wants, but clarifies that she wants it to be the true story, all the facts exactly as Harry reports them. Rita stares at Hermione and then reminds her that the prophet will never print that story since everybody thinks he's delusional. She tries to convince her to let her write the story from that angle, but Hermione angrily tells her they don't need another story about how Harry's lost his marbles. She wants him to have a chance to tell the truth. Rita again says there's no market for a story like that, and Hermione corrects her saying the prophet won't print it since Fudge won't let them. Rita admits that is true, but also says they won't print a story that shows Harry in a good light because it goes against the public mood. No one wants to believe you know who is back. Hermione scathingly asks if the prophet exists to tell people what they want to hear, and Rita replies that it exists to sell itself. At this point, Luna unexpectedly joins the conversation, mentioning that her father thinks it's an awful paper and that he publishes stories he thinks the public needs to know. Rita looks at Luna and guesses her father runs some stupid village newsletter. Luna corrects her, informing her that he's the editor of the Quibbler. Rita snorts and insults the paper, prompting Hermione to let her know that this is her chance to raise the tone, since Luna's father is happy to take Harry's interview. Rita laughs, pointing out that people aren't going to take him seriously if he's published in the Quibbler, but Hermione calmly responds that, though some people won't, a lot of people aren't happy with the prophet's version of what happened, and an alternate story, even published in an unusual magazine, will definitely garner interest. Rita doesn't respond for a while, but then finally asks what kind of fee she will get if she does it. Luna dreamily tells her that Daddy doesn't exactly pay people to write for the prophet, that they do it for the honor and to see their names in print. Rita turns back to Hermione, horrified that she is supposed to do this for free. Hermione sips her drink and casually mentions that if she doesn't, she will inform the authorities that she's an unregistered animagus, adding on that the ministry might give her a lot for an insider's account of life in Azkaban. Though furious, Rita accepts that she doesn't have a choice and opens her bag to retrieve some parchment in her quick quotes quill. Luna says that her daddy will be pleased, and Hermione asks Harry if he's ready to tell the truth. He says he supposes, and Hermione tells Rita to fire away. Well, that was fun. I can't believe this was not in the movie. None of it. None of it. But you know what? In Goblet of Fire, we didn't even find out about anything about Rita. True. So in continuing with that, it's just so it's... much fun. And I'm telling you, this is one of the strongest cases that I can make for Hermione being Slytherin. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Based on this scene alone, I would proudly accept her. Yeah, she earns her house. spot. She it really is just, does. Whoo. She is cutthroat. She is cold. She is calculating. And the whole thing is so beautifully written. Mm-hmm. It really did mess with my head. I really could picture this. Yeah. And Miranda Richardson in this scene oh, could God. have <laughs> been killer i would have loved it so much think of how badass she was in goblet of fire right? and then put all of that energy into this scene 
I did. My brain created it all for me. It exists for me. It's like some sort of weird Mandela effect. Like in my brain, I've seen this scene before. It exists. It's because you made it up in your brain. Yeah, but it exists there and it should exist in real life. I'm not going to lie to you. There are a lot of times when you and I interact and I'm like, I would not be inside of Ellen's brain for a million dollars. This is one of those times I would definitely pay a million dollars to be inside (laughs) your brain just so I could see these scenes myself. Oh my God. I literally, (laughs) in my brain, they exist for real. Right. It's not that I can't make up my own scene, but you are so confident they exist. Yeah, I really was. It's weird that they don't because... I can see it. I can literally see it. Like, it's a good thing I'm the movie one and you're the book one. Right? Because. <laughs> oh, my God. I would just make everything up. I mean, so this why not? The, the movie, movie did. Right? <laughs> no, it didn't. What are you talking about? Yeah, this was devastating that we didn't get this in the movie. Obviously so traumatizing for me that I invented <laughs> the fact that it did happen. <laughs> And I want to hear more from our keepers about their feelings on this. I need to know if it's as intense as mine. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that anything anyone could feel is as intense as something I don't know. you do. I feel like Jessica and Ashley could give me a run for my money on this one. You know what? They are pretty damn passionate. Yes. Megan's given us a couple of good rants, too. She has. God damn it. I love our keepers. Right? They're the best. I love them You guys so are awesome. <laughs> but anyway... As none of this existed in the movie, we're just going to probably rant, lament about all of the things in this half of the chapter that did not make it in unless you live in my brain. (laughs) So this half of the chapter is starting out. It's just kind of like a transition paragraph Mm -hmm. to jump through most of January and half of February. Let's face it. After Christmas... January lasts for like six years anyway. Right? Nothing important happens. No. January is the longest month in the history of months. Right. Every single year. And then after January, it all just goes so fast. Like, what the fuck? Why is it December already? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the book just sort of fast forwards through it. Mm-hmm. Nothing exciting happens. It's just like a mention of how they have so much to do for school. And Harry has his Occlumency lessons and is doing all of the stuff he needs to do for the DA meetings. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the fifth years are all prepping for the OWLs. So it goes by as if somebody actually pushed fast forward on it, which, like I said, is what the book does for us. Mm -hmm. And the movie, for that matter. I mean, the movie just hit delete. (laughs) (laughs) This wasn't a fast forward through it. We didn't even get a fucking montage. That is true. It's just (laughs) delete. Ew, David. Ew, David, indeed. But like I said, we also jump halfway through February and it's just the story of this part of the chapter really starts on Harry waking up on the 14th of February, which is Valentine's Day. It is indeed. And even though he's been so busy, he's barely had a chance to talk to Cho one-on-one. He now like wakes up this morning, head off the pillow. Oh no. Right. It's a full day. (laughs) What are we going to talk about? I should have had Hermione make me note cards. Right? But it specifically mentions that he dresses extra carefully that morning. Like, which of Dudley's old clothes should I put on? Right. You know? <laughs> which baggy flannel and oversized, oversized jeans. jeans should I wear today? Yeah. But then he and Rod head to breakfast. And they get there just in time for Owl Post. 
even though he knows he's not going to get any letters from Hedwig because the only person who ever used to write to him was Sirius and he can't even do that anymore. Right. But Hermione is getting a letter from an owl they don't recognize. Mm. And she seems to be very relieved about this, opens it up and reads it, and then turns to Harry and says, this is really important, but meet me at the three broomsticks around midday. I actually like that Harry has the thought of like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Right. That's actually pretty impressive for Harry. Harry is not completely clueless, but as we will see later, he's pretty clueless. Oh, he's... Don't... (laughs) Sir. (laughs) We'll get there. Yeah. But you're right. He does say, I don't know if that's a good idea. Cho might be expecting to spend the whole day with me. And I love Hermione's reaction here because she's just like, bring her along if you must. (laughs) It's kind of funny that Hermione's the clueless one there. I don't think she was actually clueless. I think she was just so focused on getting this organized that she didn't think through how poorly Harry was going to handle this. She had tunnel vision on that. Yeah, Yeah, I can see that for sure. So he wants to know why he has to do this. And in true Hermione fashion, she's just like, I don't have time to explain now. I got to go send this letter back or there won't be time and just rushes out. So Harry turns to Ron and wants to know if he's going to be coming. Mm-hmm. And thank God that he couldn't, because you know he'd just try to hang out with Harry and show too. Oh, God. Ron would have third-wheeled the fuck out of that. So it worked out really well that he couldn't go and explains to Harry that Angelina wants a full day of training. Which he needs. The whole team needs. Well, the newbies on the team, minus Ginny, yeah. really need the extra help. Especially the newest newbies, Sloper and Kirk. Mm-hmm. Ron says they're even worse than he is. Which he has a very low self-image, so that's saying quite a bit. Right. <laughs> he also sighs and wonders why Angelina won't just let him resign, which just pisses Harry off because he's like, dude, read the room. <laughs> oh, where? I'm not good at Quidditch. I should just quit. Where, where, where? Shut up. I will happily trade spots with you any day, Ronald. (laughs) Least you're allowed to play Quidditch, you little ruddy fuck. Basically, yeah. (laughs) And Ron does actually pick up on Harry's irritated tone. Impressive. Now, he doesn't really say all of that. He just says it's because you're good when you're on form. Not wrong. But the tone is still there. Mm -hmm. And Ron does, in fact, pick up on it. Yeah. And is smart enough to not bring up Quidditch again for the rest of breakfast, though... It really just means they don't really talk much at all. And then when they say goodbye, it's a little bit frosty. Right. It got a little awkward. Yeah. A little bit. Anyway, it is now time for Harry to go meet up with Cho mm-hmm. in the entrance hall like they plan. Let the awkwardness begin. Yes. And I love the description of this awkwardness because he walks up and just sees her. I think she looks extremely pretty with her hair and a ponytail. And that's like the least effort hairstyle ever. And I just love it. Oh, she looks so pretty with her hair and a ponytail. And then starts to worry about how stupid his arms look swinging by his (laughs) side. And like just everything going through his head. It's just such a delightful little moment to really fully illustrate the awkwardness and adorableness of a first date. It just cuts through all of the, I have an evil wizard out to kill me on a daily basis. Like I witnessed my best friend's dad almost get murdered in a dream and it turned out to be real and this and this and this. But my arms look stupid swinging by their side. Stupid arms. (laughs) 
it really just cuts through all of the like supernaturalness of Harry. This isn't magic kid at magic school. This is pinnacle normal kids. Yes, it really is. And I love it. And this would have been such a cute little scene between the two of them. As opposed to what we did get. Yes. Yeah. And that's a conversation for another time because we can talk more about how the movie did butcher their relationship. What relationship? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Delete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, they say hi to each other. It's beautifully awkward. And then you just stare until Harry goes, uh, should we head out? Yeah. So they have to go and join the line to get signed out by Filch. Mm -hmm. And they just stand in this line, not talking. It's super awkward. And when they finally get signed out and start walking across the grounds, it's at least a little bit more comfortable to be walking in silence as opposed to just standing in silence. Yeah, because you're like looking around like doo doo doo. And in the process of looking around, Harry catches a glimpse of Ron and Ginny flying up over the Quidditch stands and just feels this pang of <laughs> jealousy. Like, why am I not there with them? You have a hot chick now. Next to you, Harry, you've been pining after Cho for at least two books. You're finally on a date with the girl and all your little, oh, I can't go play sports ball. On the plus side, Cho sees the look on Harry's face and it gives him something to talk about. So she brings up Quidditch. You really miss it, don't you? Which is very intuitive of her. Yes. And then they start talking about Quidditch and the first time they played against each other and how... She kept blocking him with her broom so he couldn't get to the snitch. And then all oh. of her wood told Harry to just knock her off her broom if he has to. All of her like, wood. Oh, that's what I said. All of her wood. <laughs> but then they start talking about all of her wood and how he signed for a Quidditch team. And Cho couldn't remember what it was. And Harry was like, it's Puddlemere United. And then they talk about the Quidditch World Cup. And it just flows. And Harry's just like, wow, she's actually really easy to talk to. It's like talking to Hermione or Ron. I mean, it's not like talking to Hermione because Hermione doesn't know that much about Quidditch. Right. But... <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, it's easy to talk to someone when you have something in common. Right. Problem is... That's about all they got. It began and ended on the same They page. were not a good match. No. They have a little bit more that ties them together, but their reaction to that is basically opposite, which we'll get to in here. Yeah. On the plus side... Talking about Quidditch gets them all the way across the Hogwarts grounds. And then they start making their way into the village. And Harry is starting to feel more comfortable. And then this bubble is just popped when they walk past Pansy Parkinson and her gang of Slytherin girls. Sure. Because they all start giggling and Pansy screeches about Potter and Chang. Oh, Chang, I don't think much of your taste. At least Diggory was pretty. They just rush past these Slytherin girls. Because what else can you do? Mm -hmm. You don't want to look at him. They'll feel threatened. Do not engage. <laughs> He'll attack. But now he's run out of things to say. Nerves are all back. Mm -hmm. And they do make it to Hogsmeade. So Harry says, well, where do you want to go? And Cho says, I don't mind. You want to just look in some of the shops? Like, okay. So yeah. they just start wandering around the village. And they make their way towards Dervish and Banji's. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of people are gathered around the outside looking at a poster on the window, which it's one poster with all 10 Death Eaters on it. Yes. It offers a thousand galleon reward for anybody that has information. And that is it. Yeah. Cho brings up the fact that when Sirius Black escaped, it was Dementors everywhere. Right? 
when he was escaped, it was like all hands on deck. Yeah. Everyone was out looking for him. They had it on the Muggle News. They had it on the Muggle News. They had it everywhere. And that was one person. And that was one dude. And this is 10 freaking people. It's 10 freaking people. And there is not a Dementor in sight. No. Gee, I wonder why that is. Hmm, Could it be because they're not under the ministry's control anymore? Could it be because they've gone a bit rogue? Evilly rogue. Voldemort rogue. <laughs> Voldemort. Voldemort. Rogamore. <laughs> anyway, back to this date. It starts to rain. Mm-hmm. So Cho suggests they should go get a coffee at Madame Puttyfoot's. She wants to know if Harry's ever been there. It's such a cute little place. And oh, it's so adorable. They show up at this place that he's never been to before. And it's immediately apparent why he's never been there before. Because it's this tiny little pink place decorated with frills and bows. And it is full of couples. And they're all holding hands. And then on top of that... It's been decorated for Valentine's Day, and there's all these little floating golden cherubs that are throwing pink confetti over the tables. Just kill me now. So they take the last open table, and it's all like two people tables. Yeah. Well, it's for couples. Yeah. And this one is right by the window, which is super steamy, and we can all guess why. Mm. It's hot in there. It's getting hot in there. So take off all your robes. (laughs) (laughs) I am getting so hot. I'm I'm going to take take my my robes off. off. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about us right now. Anywho. Moving on. They happen to be right next to Roger Davies, who is another Quidditch player. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's sitting at a table with a pretty blonde girl and they're holding hands. And Harry's just like, oh, shit, am I going to have to hold Cho's hand? I'm probably already sweaty. I'm so nervous about this. (laughs) Just more things to feel awkward about. Right. Anyway, the stout woman with a shiny black bun, who Harry realizes is Madame Puttyfoot, manages to squeeze between their table and Roger Davies's table. Mm -hmm. Ask him what they want. Cho says, two coffees, please. And while they're waiting to get their coffee, Roger Davies starts kissing his girlfriend right over the sugar bowl. Sure. Because that's not awkward as hell. It's super awkward. And Harry's just like, fuck, is this the standard I have to compete with? Yes. Yes, it is. You're out with a girl on Valentine's Day, sir. In a couple's only coffee shop. You best get to making out. Right. Cho brings up Pepto Bitch Mall at this point. Sure. And yay, new conversation. And they just start verbally abusing Pepto Bitch Mall because that's fun. Right? Plenty to say about her. Bonding over mutual hatred is always so wonderful. Yes. So here's thing number two they kind of have in common. (laughs) Real strong foundation for a relationship here. I like Quidditch. I hate bitches. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, this conversation does not last forever and they fall back into silence. Mm-hmm. So Harry chooses this moment to say, do you want to go to the three broomsticks with me later? I told Hermione Granger I'd meet her there. And this is when Harry needs the opera singer in the background going, mistake. Yes. <laughs> Everybody needs a don't do that guy. Because Cho immediately goes, you're meeting Hermione Granger. Mm-hmm. Today. Of all days. And he's just like, yeah, well, she asked me to, so I thought I would. And do you want to go with me? Hermione said it wouldn't matter if you did. Oh, sir. This is a literal read the room moment. And he's not. He's He's illiterate. No. 
Boy can't even read the room. It is a literal read the room moment, and he is illiterately unable to read the room. Harry. Harry, Harry, Harry. You can read the Dark Lord's mind, but you can't read a room. He definitely can't read Cho's mind. (laughs) Boy, I'm betting he was wishing he was actually studying legitimacy at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Not that he even really needed to, because Cho is pretty clear about how she's feeling. Oh, yeah. Heart on her sleeve. She's just like, oh, she said I could go. That's nice. Yeah. Which you have to love that she is so direct. Because it's what everyone's thinking. And she's not being as direct as she could be. The sarcasm makes it a little bit more indirect. But it should still be very clear to Harry that she's not happy. Right. Yet when they fall silent again and he sees Davy still kissing his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. he then notices Cho's hand sitting next to her coffee on the table and thinks this is the time he should reach out and take her hand. Dude. This is illiterately the wrong time. Sir, this is why you get no bitches. Accurate. And I don't know if she realized that he was reaching for her hand or if this was just really bad timing. But as he's doing this, she takes her hand off the table. I can't help but feel it's pointed. Yeah. I can't help but feel it. Because what follows is definitely very pointed. Mm -hmm. She also looks over at Roger Davies and tells Harry that he asked her out a couple weeks ago, but she turned him down. Which I get what she's doing, but I also kind of hate it. Yeah, it's indirect. It's not letting him know where he fucked up. Yeah, it's poor communication. Exceptionally poor communication. But I don't know what you expect from teenagers. Exactly. It's not like we're talking about completely mature adults who never do this at all. Uh, (laughs) but yeah it's very pointed and harry has to redirect his hand to pick up the sugar bowl (laughs) instead and at this point he's almost out of coffee because he has nothing else to do so he just keeps drinking the coffee just chugging he's just randomly like sugar instead of her hand (laughs) and it's all just so beautifully awkward and this wouldn't have even been that long of a scene that's like when you get passed over for a high five and you're just like oh i was just gonna put my hand in yeah, my hair yeah, exactly it's just yeah or you wave to somebody that you think's waving at you yeah, and they're like, not yeah you're just like just checking my hair yep checking yep. my do hey look sugar <laughs> <laughs> but harry has absolutely no idea why she's bringing up roger davies asking her out so he can't think of anything to say in response because you know illiterate And that is kind of a dick thing for Cho to say. So what would he say in response? I mean... I don't know what she was expecting. But yeah, he doesn't say anything in response to that. Because what can you possibly say? Exactly. On top of that, Cho decides to also inform him that she came to Madame Buddyfoots with Cedric the previous year. And (sighs) Harry's just like, why the fuck is she bringing up Cedric? I don't want to talk about Cedric. He actually like goes cold. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she's bringing up Cedric again. And to make matters even worse, she just flat out asks him if Cedric mentioned her at all before he died. Like, first of all, honey, I don't even know what to say to that, Cho. Like, that is just, I get that you're hurting. But given the situation, she's being illiterate, too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. She is very one-track mind. Yes. And... I don't blame her again. Like you were saying, she's hurting. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. Did Cho actually like Harry or is this a trauma response? Mm -hmm. She felt like they had some sort of bond 
because they had a mutual trauma. Yeah. And maybe she did actually like him for certain reasons before. I mean, he is Harry fucking Potter. Yeah. Harry fucking Marie Potter. She did seem actually distraught when she had to tell him no to the Yule Ball. I get that. But to go on a date with a guy and want to talk to him about your ex-boyfriend is definitely super fucking awkward. Again, I'm reminded of Harry and the Potter's song, The Human Hosepipe. Yeah. They actually say, because I'd rather not talk about your dead ex-boyfriend over coffee. Yeah. Because who would? Who would? (laughs) Nobody. No. And that's exactly what Harry says. He's like, no, there wasn't any time for him to mention you. So how about that Quidditch? You like the tornadoes, right? And then she starts to cry and he's like, please, can we talk about anything else? Let's not talk about Cedric right now. Yeah. And she's like, but I need to. I thought you would understand that. I thought you would need to. Also, you saw him die. Yeah, I'm aware. And of course, since Cho is crying, everybody is starting to stare. Well, yeah. And Harry explains that he has talked about it to Ron and Hermione. And this, again, was mistake Mm -hmm. because... Bringing up Hermione's name again just set show off even further. And now she's just like, oh, of course, you'll talk to Hermione about it, but you won't talk to me. Maybe it's just best if we pay so you can go meet up with Hermione like you obviously want to. Why, yes, I would rather talk to my friend of over five years as opposed to someone I've had seven conversations yeah, with. Yeah, right. Sorry. I don't even think Harry can form that thought, though, no. because he has no idea what's happening. And he just says, Cho? <laughs> And she's just crying into her napkin and just tells him to leave, saying she doesn't know why he asked her out in the first place if he's going to go meet up with other girls after her. And she wants to know how many other girls he's meeting up with. Cho, honey. Sweetheart. Baby. Darling. Don't do that. (laughs) Right? Well, and Harry has a very don't do that moment. And to be fair, this was probably an awkward thing. That could be the name of the book. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But in his relief to finally figure out why it is that Cho is so upset, he just laughs. Oh, don't do that, sir. Don't do that. Because this just makes her jump up and run out of the tea room. I mean, I can't blame her. Yeah, I can't either. But she also kind of brought this on herself. A little bit. This was doomed from the beginning. Yeah, this really was. And I feel like why even include their relationship in the movie at all? If you're not going to show... What it actually was. Like, why have it in there? Like, a lot of things in the movie, it's just shoehorned in. And then we don't even get the resolve on it. Of this ending. Of any ending. No. We get a kiss, and then we see them walking in the And then he snubs her because the movie pinned something on her that wasn't even her fault. Yeah. And none of it's ever even explained. Yeah. It's just, meh. The movie just did this so, meh. And there was so much more to it. And granted, I will give you that it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of the series. Which is exactly why I think we're saying, why Why include include it it at all? Why? Do it right or don't do it at all. Exactly. You could say that about the whole series. I could say that about a lot of things. (laughs) And there are so many things that they did do right. Mm -hmm. This is just not an episode about those things because they didn't do any of this. They didn't do any of it. And what they did was not right. Far be it for us to say that we wouldn't want something included in the movie. And it's not that we don't want it included in the movie. But in this case, if you're not going to follow through on it and do it correctly, why do it? Yeah. That's all we're getting This was just a tease. And a bad one, too. Yeah. Ew. Ew, David. Ew, David. But yeah, so she runs out. 
understandably, but also super dramatically. Sure. Well, she's 16. Right. I mean. Harry calls after her. She obviously doesn't turn back, so he just throws a galleon down on the table and runs out after her. It's still raining outside, and he looks in every direction and can't see her anywhere. And he's just like, I have no idea what went wrong. We were just getting along fine. I don't know if you really were, but sure, Harry. You just keep on being illiterate there. Sure, sir. And he just goes, women, and just sloshes through the rain and decides to go to the three broomsticks, even though it's a little too early to meet up with Hermione. Oh, Lord. He's just so clueless. He really is. Oh, my word. In the three broomsticks, he runs into Hagrid, who's just drinking by himself in the corner. Like you do. Like you do. Like Hagrid does for sure. Mm -hmm. He's got some new cuts and bruises and seems to be very morose. Like introspective. After finding out in the last episode about his probation, probation, all of that, it's understandable. It is. However, the cuts and bruises are a little unexplained. A little concerning. Yeah, for sure. Naturally, Harry asks him if he's okay. Mm-hmm. And Hagrid gives a very sarcastic, oh, I'm grand. But he says it like really morosely. He says it like every 30-something. How you doing today? Fine. Living the dream. Yep. <laughs> doing great. It's a day. Yeah. And then they just sort of sit there. And Hagrid then tells Harry that they're in the same boat. Both outsiders. Both orphans. Boy, Harry is batting a thousand for awkward conversations right? today. <laughs> and like I said, Hagrid is feeling very introspective mm-hmm. today. So he's like, it makes a difference to have a decent family. My dad was decent. Your parents were decent. Life would have been different if they lived. That's not wrong. And that's sure. basically how Harry reacts to. He's just like, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> suppose so. It's like, so Hagrid... Why you got all these injuries, huh? Because <laughs> like you said, batting a thousand for awkward conversations. It really is, man. Doesn't get any better because Hagrid's just like, oh, nothing. It's just normal bumps and bruises. I got a rough job, you know. I bet at this moment, Harry's like, man, I kind of wish Sirius had never signed my form saying I could go to Hogsmeade. Right? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Especially since then, Hagrid just chugs the rest of his drink and gets up and says, all right, Harry, I'll be seeing you. Take care and walks <laughs> off. And Harry's just sitting there by himself like, what the fuck is going on today? <laughs> that's like the quintessential like oh big gulps huh well see you later <laughs> yeah <laughs> taking off and this just adds on to harry's misery because upset about cho now he's upset that hagrid is clearly unhappy and obviously hiding something yeah but he doesn't have any more time to think about this because somebody calls out his name and he looks up and he sees hermione waving at him from across the room so he gets up and starts to make his way over there and then stops dead in his tracks a couple tables away because she is sitting with luna lovegood and none other than rita garbage skeeter Boy, isn't that an interesting round table right there. Definitely not what he expected. No. And then Hermione scoots over to make room for him and comments on how she didn't expect him for another hour because she thought he was with Joe. And Garbage is just like, ooh, a girl. (laughs) A girl. Like the opposite of a man. Yes. And Hermione just snaps at her. Like, this is none of your business. I believe what she says is, it's none of your business if Harry's been with a hundred girls. <laughs> I like how she's all nice to Harry and then Garbage says one thing and she's like, up, 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 Newspaper on the nose. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bad Garbage. Yes. 
Harry's just sitting there like, I'm going to need clarification. That's exactly what happens. Harry sits down and says, what are you up to? (laughs) (laughs) Me thinks there's a plot afoot. Yes. I would like to know what that is. And Garbage takes a big slurp of her drink because that's just par for the course with the adults today. Sure. And informs him that Little Miss Perfect was just about to tell them when he arrived. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Little Miss Perfect. We get a little description here of how unemployment has not been kind to the garbage. Looking a little ragged. Yeah. She normally has her blonde curls like elaborately set, but they're just like hanging limply around her face and she's missing jewels in her glasses and her nails that are normally so nice and long and polished are all chipped. Mm -hmm. She also can't stop herself from asking Harry if the girl was pretty. Right, because Harry's just going to answer that at all. Right. Sure. And this makes Hermione tell her that the deal will be off if she brings up Harry's love life again. She's like, I promise you that. Mm-hmm. Again, newspaper to the nose. Just Right, exactly. And Garbage is just like, you haven't even mentioned a deal yet. You just told me to be here. I'm fucking here. One of these days. <laughs> one of these days. And Hermione's just like, yeah, yeah. One of these days, you're going to write more horrible shit about us. Uh-huh. Which Garbage points out that The Daily Prophet has been doing just fine on that without her and wants to know how those articles have been making Harry feel. Betrayed? Distraught? Misunderstood? Are his eyes glimmering with the ghosts of his past? Yes, something. (laughs) Hermione points out that he's obviously angry. Mm -hmm. He told the Minister of Magic the truth and the Minister of Magic is too much of a dumbass to believe him. So yeah, this is annoying. Yeah. He's a wee bit irritated. Garbage wants to know if Harry's sticking to a story then. That you know who was back and he was the sole witness. And Harry's just like, I was not the sole witness. There were a dozen odd murder munchers there too. You want their names? I got names. You want names? I can give you names. Naturally, Garbage reaches back in her bag for her quick quotes quill mm-hmm. and says, I would love them. <laughs> Potter accuses Harry Potter names Death Eaters still among us. And then she launches into the first line of this article that is again painting Harry as being delusional and naming murder munchers among respectable citizens and blah, 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 blah. And then her face falls and she looks over at Hermione and says, but of course, Little Miss Perfect wouldn't want that story out there. Funny you should say that. Yeah, Hermione just sweetly says, which I love, the change in tone. Actually, that's exactly what Little Miss Perfect does want. I do love this ass. Yeah. She does kind of roll the newspaper back up and just points it at her while she's saying, but I want it to be the true story. All of the facts exactly as Harry reports them. Yeah, we want word for word. This is what happened. This is it. The end. No embellishments, no negativity towards Harry. No eyes glistening with the ghost of his past. Exactly. None of that shit. Garbage points out that there's no market for a story like that. And Hermione says, no, the prophet, the prophet won't print it because Fudge won't let them. Mm hmm. Garbage has to admit that that's accurate. It is Fudge that's leading on the prophet so they don't print things that aren't you know, putting Harry as the crazy one making up stories. Yeah. Potter the plotter. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But she also kind of defends them and says that they're not going to print a story that shows Harry in a good light because nobody wants to believe that you know who is back. So if Harry doesn't look crazy, 
that becomes a distinct possibility and people don't want to believe it. Yeah. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. But Hermione just kind of wonders if the prophet just exists to tell people what they want to hear. Exactly. She's not wrong. However, that's ultimately not what journalism is about. Well, according to Rita, it's about existing to sell itself. In a perfect world, the truth would sell itself. You would think. But... I mean, we are definitely not in a perfect world, but that is a no. whole other story. <laughs> now, Luna, who has been sitting at the table this entire time, but hasn't really added anything to the conversation other than randomly singing Weasley is our king under her breath at one point. Mm -hmm. She actually speaks up and just flat out says that her father thinks it's an awful paper and he publishes stories that he thinks the public needs to know. Rita assumes that her father must run some stupid village newsletter, and Luna's just like, no, he's the editor of The Quibbler. Duh. We talk about crumpled horn snorkaks and whatnot. And nargles. And nargles. This gets exactly the reaction you would expect from Garbage, who just snorts. Yeah. Starts insulting the paper, much like you did. Yeah. I did it with love, though, for you the did. record. True story. <laughs> And Hermione says, well, this is your chance to raise the tone because Luna's father is happy to take Harry's interview. Interesting. I actually really love this twist. I know. I gotta I say, I love it so much. I just can't believe that we did not get to see this conversation. No, we were absolutely bilked. Unbelievably so. Absolutely. I can just picture Miranda Richardson delivering this next line about how people aren't going to take him seriously if he's published in The Quibbler. I mean, they're not taking him seriously now anyway. Right? So what's the difference? And as Hermione points out, sure, there are some people who aren't going to, mm -hmm. but so many people are looking for a more plausible alternate story to what the prophet published that she thinks that even if it's published in a looks over at Luna or unusual magazine. Good choice of words. That people are going to be interested in reading it. Yeah. You'll at least get people to read it, which is the important thing, because you don't know what their reaction is going to be. Right. That could change their entire mind. She just wants to get the truth out there. Yeah. Because at this point, the only people putting the truth out there has really been Dumbledore. Yeah. Who is also being slandered. Mm -hmm. So nobody's listening to him, and there's no way for him to put it out in a mass sort of way. Exactly. So he can say it all he wants, but then the Daily Prophet, which has a much wider audience, is just going to mm -hmm. slander him. Hermione is just like, this is our one chance to get a bigger audience, to get the truth out there unembellished or untwisted. Yeah. The actual truth. The legit happenings yes. that are going on. Yes. And yeah, it's like the Inquirer coming out with a legit story. <laughs> sure. But... Sometimes you look at the Inquirer and you're like, maybe, maybe <laughs> there are enough people who read the Inquirer and believe it. True. To where it's still in print. Now, are they necessarily the people you want to believe, Harry? Maybe, maybe not. But but at this point, beggars can't be choosers. True. There is that. Harry even mentioned that earlier on. Mm hmm. Garbage doesn't really have anything to say to this because on some level, she's got to know that Hermione's right. Yeah. So she just sits quietly for a while and then finally like accepts that she's probably going to end up doing this and wonders what kind of fee she'll get. And I'm not going to lie. This part kind of pisses me off. 
Yeah. Because Luna just dreamily tells her that Daddy doesn't exactly pay people to write for the magazine. They do it for the honor and to see their name in print. Bitch. Yeah, I don't like that. And bitch, sir. Sir, bitch. Bitch and sir, bitch. (laughs) They are doing fucking work for you and you are making money off of this. And you are just using them. Yeah. As an artist, I take offense to that. Yeah. I can see certain writers just wanting a little bit of glory. Like an op-ed piece, maybe. Yeah, sure. A letter to the editor. Something like that. Sure. But the entire magazine is just made up of like articles written by people who didn't get anything for it and then he sells it for money and reaps all of the profits yeah that seems off like maybe give him a little percentage something your article is this percent of the magazine you get this percent of the profit the profit yeah sure i mean if they're willing to do it then fine i guess but at the same time i just it feels icky yeah it is icky and we're not the only ones horrified Mm mm-hmm Rita Garbage Skeeter is horrified as well. And understandably, she has now been unemployed for like seven months. Yeah. Bitch needs money. She needs money. She's looking rough. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know that I necessarily feel like she deserves money, but everybody needs to make a living. Yeah. It is still work being put in and you should be compensated accordingly. But yeah, she's horrified. And this is when Hermione's Slytherin really 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 just comes out full force tidal wave of Slytherin like somehow her tie changed colors while she was saying this it went from the scarlet and gold to the green and silver like it was just this weird magical effect I kind of feel like this is the moment where we see the fact that Slytherin and Gryffindor can be two sides of the same coin oh yeah absolutely because she just sips her drink Mm -hmm. and just very casual drops the coldest truth bomb blackmail on her that she possibly could saying yeah well if you don't do it i'll let the authorities know that you're an unregistered animagus however the ministry might give you a lot of money for an insider's account of life in azkaban that could be true cold bitch such a cold bitch cold bitch i love it oh my goodness I doff my Slytherin cap to you, my yeah, dear. Yeah, it is cold. Mm-hmm. It understandably pisses Rita off. Well, yeah. I will say that she did put herself in this situation being absolutely horrible. Like, she was terrible to Hermione. Yeah. She put her in a position that fucked her life up for a little bit. Yeah. She lost the use of her hands for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And she could have done much worse and would still be doing much worse had Hermione not caught her. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she's necessarily someone to feel upset for. But at the same time, you're just kind of like, ooh, but cold bitch, like, Hermione. Does that make you much better than her? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily know if I believe in tit for tat, but woof. I do love it. Yeah. But yeah, so pissed off, but realizes that she's between a rock and a hard place here. She has no choice but to do it. Hermione's got a point. So she opens her bag. She gets out a piece of parchment and grabs her quick quote squill. Mm Mm-hmm. And Luna says, Daddy will be so pleased. And Hermione says, 
All right, Harry, you ready? Harry's just like, wait, what? Wait, what are you asking me to do? I guess. Sure. (laughs) And little Miss Perfect turns back to Rita Garbage Skeeter and says, fire away. Mm -hmm. And that's where we end the chapter. Yep. There it is. And obviously we have no actors to talk about. We could talk about Miranda Richardson. We kind of already did. We did. But... She wasn't actually in the movie. Right. It was talking about the absence of her. Yeah. And how well she would have done if they had given us this. Yeah. Which God knows she would have. But sadly, we don't actually have that. So I can picture it so well. Oh, you know what? This is when I really want a Ponceve, as Snape says. <laughs> so I can just pull so it out yeah, of you my can brain. Just, you pull out some brain jizz, put that in there, and I can just like, watch, watch it. Yeah, yeah, I can watch your brain jizz. You can stick your I'm... nose in my brain jizz and fall into the pensive. <laughs> fall into your brain jizz. Yeah. Sexy. I just want to say brain jizz one more time. So brain jizz. So anyway, like we already said earlier on, our Potter pondering is wanting to know your thoughts on the Order of the Phoenix movie leaving Rita Skeeter out completely. Mm-hmm. Hit us with your rants. Yep, let's hear it. Or let us know if you actually think that it was fine to leave it out. Maybe you do. We're not going to judge. Again, maybe you're like, well, considering they left out all the other stuff. Yeah, why not? Might as well. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Richie Gagan. Our trivia nemesis. Yes. And one-time ally. And one-time champion as well. And one-time champion because when when we let it, he won. Mm Mm-hmm. He writes, I am a Ravenclaw. My wand is Hollywood, 12 inches with a unicorn hair core, and my Patronus is a fox. I was in fourth grade and the Scholastic Book Fair was at school. My mom went with me and she had heard about this new book series called Harry Potter. She thought it would be something I might like, so she bought me Sorcerer's Stone. I started reading it and instantly loved it. I've been a huge Harry Potter fan ever since. I went to midnight book release parties for the last three books and saw all the movies on opening day. I've been to two Harry Potter fan conventions, LeakyCon 2011 and 2019 and the theme parks in Orlando and L.A. I went on the WB Studio Tour in London. I've met so many amazing friends through our shared love of these books and this world. I can honestly say that I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for Harry Potter. He's so cute. I know. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Richie. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, how old was Ginny when she first started breaking into the broom shed to borrow her brother's brooms when they weren't looking? The first person who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag mildly impressed will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. 
Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that, too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, and the basically no corresponding film scenes, though part of this chapter did technically get included earlier in the film during the montage. That was a mouthful. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calming Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake. Thank you.